speak.studio. Hi, I'm Abby, and this is We Have Notes, a podcast for the pop culture obsessed and the people who love them. It's March, which means spring is on the horizon, even though it's kind of like false spring. But still, it's like light here until after 630 right now, which is like the one of the best parts about um, moving back to Indianapolis is we're on the western part of the eastern time zone gives us a lot more daylight. I know that's really exciting information for all of you, but it also means March Madness is coming, which I love very much. We're going to have a fun kind of we have notes, but make it sports as uh, was coined in our very first episode with Tia. Um, I'm going to do an episode coming up with two return guests who are also two of my sports girls. It's going to be really fun. And that is a thing that makes me very excited about March. And I'm really excited about today's episode too, but we'll get to that in a second. Here's some things on my mind at the moment. Well, first of all, I hope you're all doing okay. I hope that you are navigating this very chaotic and stressful world that we're living in that just continues to layer on new ways to be stressed. I think I talked about this a little bit in the newsletter, but I hope that we have notes can be a bit of a reprieve from whatever it is that you're dealing with always, but especially when times get really intense and the news is really intense and, you know, it's okay to take a break and talk about stuff that is not about war and pandemics and whatnot. And uh, nobody needs to hear from me on those topics. There are plenty of smart people in the world that can talk about Ukraine and Russia. Um, The memification of all this is, uh, don't enjoy that. You know, sometimes it's okay to just like not comment on things. Um, We don't all have to tweet. Sometimes you just don't tweet. That would be, that's my advice to some people, probably not any of you, but, um, you know, maybe don't, we don't have to like obsess over world leaders, like their matinee idols. Like I told people this during the Cuomo sexual times and no one was listening again, not saying that anything like that is going to come out about the man everyone's talking about, but um, just saying, like, sometimes as a culture, we could settle down. But again, you don't need me to talk about that. I'm here to talk about things like Lindsay Lohan just signed a two-picture deal with Netflix, and I think that is fantastic. I have always rooted for Lindsay Lohan. I want good things for her. I've always wanted good things for her. Um, so I'm ex- I'm excited about that. She's She was a really talented person, and her life has been very complicated, but I will happily watch anything she's going to be in on Netflix. I mean, I watched that Oprah reality show, and that was less fun to watch, but watched every episode. Man, when she had to get that talking to from Oprah, can you imagine? Ooh, don't, never want to disappoint Oprah like that. 
And then there's the show that everyone's talking about that just wrapped up its uh, second season, and that's Euphoria, which HBO has now uh, let us know that it is its second most watched show ever behind Game of Thrones. Like, this show is massive. Like, Euphoria is massive at this point. Um, The finale was on Sunday. Like, this show is a beautiful mess, and I'm going to miss it so much. I, you know, it's got some amazing, uh, so many amazing performances, so many amazing scenes, so many amazing moments, some, so many amazing episodes. It's still, it's got some issues and that's okay. It's, it's, uh, art is never perfect. I like, here's the thing. Like, I don't care that Euphoria High apparently has no teachers or administrators to handle any of the myriad problems going on at their school. I mean, Lexi's play being like uh, the what happened at Lexi's play being one of them. I, I'm fine with that. I don't need this. This show has a lot of fantasy elements. I can suspend disbelief about a lot of stuff because I think it's getting at like emotional issues as opposed to like it's not trying to be literal all the time. But we're just going to we're just Lori, one of the scariest women I've ever seen on my screen. Just going to let Rue like not pay her back not give her back her drugs. Like, Rue owes her a lot of money. Like, that woman isn't going to deadpan some, tell some henchmen to go fuck up Rue and her family? I mean, I don't want that to happen, but, like, that's what would happen. She, you know, Rue, you owe me money. Like, the way that woman's deadpan is terrifying to my core. But, okay. All right, Sam Levinson. Like, I... You know, I think uh, you're very talented. You're a very talented Nepo baby. Some Nepo babies are super talented, but I do think you could use a writer's room sometimes. I do. Um, you know, but I we see Lexi Howard's tour de force. She didn't have a writer's room. Honestly, like, I mean, it's fucked up to put all your, your family and friends trauma up on stage. But I mean, again, a tour de force. I was here for it. I, you know, had a lot of concerns about Fez. I still have a lot of concerns about Fez. But that opening of the finale when they are talking about Little House on the Prairie, which first of all just signals to me. And I don't think Sam Levinson isn't really Gen X. I think he's an elder millennial. But like that is some real like it's our time. It's our time, Gen X, because we were raised on fucking Little House on the Prairie. I mean, I cannot talk about I devoured those books as a kid. I had like the box set and uh, the show, obviously, so important. So the fact that Euphoria was using Little House in the context of its best relationship, Fez and Lex, like, come on. It, it was incredible. I um, I said this on Instagram, but I used to, when Mary Ingalls went blind, on the show, I used to also pretend like I was blind as a child and like feel out the close my eyes and like feel out the wall and like, you know, real method, real method acting. Um, for me, it, I, the number of you that DM'd me back that you also used to do this, my people, my people, I love you. I see you because I do, I can see you. Because I did not go blind, but uh, Mary did. And uh, I will say that along with 
I think I've said this before on the show, but along, I know I've said the Lindsay Buckingham part, but along with Lindsay Buckingham and Joe Montana, um, both Almanza Wilder and Adam Kendall, the husbands of uh, Laura and Mary, were two of my big, big, big childhood crushes. You know, Mary's Mary's blind school teacher turned husband was was above Almanzo, I will say. But back to Euphoria. I mean, again, I also have not given enough props to Alana Urbach on this show, who plays uh, Cassie and Lexi's mom, Suze, really had some stellar moments this season, um, especially like when she's out on that stage. Oh, my goodness. And she's like, don't blame her. You know, it's not her fault. She's a writer. Suze supports the arts at Euphoria High and, and creative expression. I mean possibly to the detriment of her entire family, but it, she does it. And of course she's in the legally blonde franchise. I really, really ha- loved her. She doesn't obviously have a ton to do in legally blonde, but I really, really loved her in girlfriend's guide to divorce, which I maybe am the only person who watched. And I watched it in real time, like on cable. Um, I think it's had a little bit of a second run on Netflix, but like, it was one of those shows that I told everyone to watch and a bunch of people didn't listen to me. And then they like find it on Netflix and they're like, did you see? And I'm like, yeah, no, I watched it in real time on, on a uh, Bravo. Anyway, the show like Euphoria, I so the Lexi Rue scene. Um, phenomenal. Zendaya and Maude were just so good. I unpopular opinion. I didn't think Elliot's song was too long. I liked it. Was not bothered that they did the whole song would have listened to five more minutes and I don't care what anybody else thinks about that. That also, that's absolutely what a dude with a guitar would do. We've all seen it. They do it. And I actually liked it. Um, that song was co-written, um, by Zendaya and Labyrinth. Labyrinth does like a ton of the music for the show and Zendaya does co-write some of it. Um, because she's a magical unicorn who can do everything. Like how is she so good at everything? Everything. Um, and Dominic Fike, I love his voice. Uh, as I was saying, as having a conversation with a couple of friends, like who knew one might end up attracted to someone who has the Apple logo tattooed on his face? Like who knew? But here we are. I've also I've kind of been following him for a couple years, um, and I am not embarrassed to admit it is because of Harry Styles. Because Harry Styles like went to one of his shows and um, like followed him on Instagram, and I was like, who is this person? And then I checked him out, and I was like, he's super cool. Anyway, those are my quick notes on Euphoria. If you, I mean, if you, a lot of you have probably been watching. Some of you might not have been watching. It's a really intense show. It's okay if you don't watch it, but it has kind of taken over the culture. And if you want to hear me and last week's guest, Gwen Flamberg, talk more about the fashion and beauty on Euphoria, um, you can check out the latest episode of Us Weekly's Glam Squad Confidential podcast. Uh, she and her co-host Travis had me on the show. It was super fun. We talked about Euphoria. We talked about the Gilded Age. We talked about, and just like that, we talked about Pam and Tommy. Um, super duper fun. So check that out wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm so excited for this week's episode. My guest is Jessica Rhodes, who is an executive producer on Station Eleven, which I think is one of the most genius pieces of art I have seen on television or anywhere in a very, very long time. I She has also um, produced Sharp Objects 
and the um, second season of Dirty John. That was the Betty Broderick story that I was obsessed with. And we have such, she is so smart and so creative and so talented. And we had a really thoughtful conversation about about Station Eleven, but I don't think if you haven't watched Station Eleven, I think you could you'll still be really interested because it's a conversation about art and music and the role art plays in our lives because it's such a fundamental part of the show itself. But also get into a little bit about how they produced the show during the pandemic. They started before and then had to come back um, after a break when things were a little more safe, um, which is really interesting when you're shooting a show that uh, begins with a pandemic. And, you know, I think you'll get a little bit of um, English major Abby in today's interview. So I I hope you enjoy it. I I absolutely (laughs) started to get like emotional when we were talking about this show like that about Station Eleven. That's that's how deeply I feel it. I did like kind of start crying. I don't know if you'll be able to hear it, but she could certainly see it in my eyes. Um, And I just I love this conversation so much. And I hope you enjoy it, too. We'll be right back with Jessica Rhodes. This week's guest is someone I am so excited to talk to because she is one of the producers behind some of my most favorite shows, including the recent magnificent piece of brilliance that is Station Eleven. Jessica Rhodes has committed her career to fostering creative voices and in 2018 launched her very own production company called Paysetter Productions, which really is just an excellent name. And I don't just say that because I hail from the city that gives you the Indy 500 and a pace car every year. As I mentioned, she was an executive producer on Station Eleven from creator Patrick Somerville and the great director Hiro Mirai. She also produced Gillian Flynn's Utopia and Sharp Objects, as well as the second season of Dirty John, starring Amanda Peet and Christian Slater as Betty and Dan Broderick, a story I have been obsessed with since I was young and a show that really, really lived up to all my expectations. Needless to say, she has impeccable taste in projects and is obviously the kind of person that not only gets things to the screen, but does so in a beautiful way that leaves a lasting impact on viewers, myself included. I am so grateful to our mutual friend and previous guest on this show, Dory Howard, for making this connection so we can chat about all sorts of creative things today. Welcome to We Have Notes, Jessica Rhodes. Hi, Jessica. Hi. I am always so happy to hear that people know the Betty Broderick story, because when Alexander Cunningham told me about it, I had goosebumps up and down my arms and had to be a part of, uh, I would say, retelling it, because it had obviously been told uh, with a different lens and a different time. Um, So it's really exciting to hear when people kind of capture that. I was very, very into the early tellings of it. The two I don't know if she was still, I guess she was probably still Meredith Baxter Bernie then, she was. but Meredith <laughs> she Baxter. Was, she was. And um, my sister and I were very obsessed with those television movies and all Meredith Baxter television movies. But, and then even like Betty's appearances on Oprah and like, I, I was just so into the story. And then when I heard it was going to be Amanda Peet and Christian Slater, oh, it was just, it was phenomenal. So good. I had enjoyed it so much. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. It's funny. There's a few, again, there's so much going on in the world, but, um, you know, we worked so hard on that series and Amanda just, oh, gutted us all with her performance every day. And I, I just, we, we, we are so proud of that season of television. And it of course was released, you know, 
in a, in a rough time, kind of early pandemic, early yes. pandemic. And so I don't know that the audience found it as much as I think they would on a different time. So it's so exciting when people do see it. I think we, we've we like had a second audience on Netflix. So it was Yeah, I was going to say, it feels like Netflix. I've heard people talking about it. I was like a week to week, like I was watching in real time. Like, like I, I just, I was so excited about it. And I was telling my uh, very good friend and also my Pilates teacher, who is a fair amount younger than me and was not familiar with Betty Broderick at all. And I was like, she was like, what is that? You know, she was like, Dirty John. And I was like, you're going to need to watch. Like, this is important. <laughs> and also it's Amanda Pete and Christian Slater. Like, it's very important. It's amazing. It was amazing. Um, it was great. And I think like, well, I was, I mean, we can get into Station Eleven too, yeah. but also just like on, in general, in your, like you have such an interesting resume of projects, like in, in general, what draws you to want to, to work on something? What kind of material, what kind of stories? It's always the writer. It's writers for me. I, you know, my whole career is about following writers and getting to work with the writers that make me feel things. Um, my brother was, is a writer. My brother is a writer. And so he was the first writer I ever worked with and kind of really figured out what my passion was. And it was, you know, to help writers get their vision on the screen, you know, whatever that screen was at the time. But it, that's obviously what led me to TV pretty early, you know, a medium that has always been run by writers. Uh, so that, that was it for me for years. And it was always just about falling in love with a writer on the page and saying, yes, I want to do this with you, or I want to do the next thing you're doing, whatever that is. Um, and so, you know, when I started my company, Paysetter, it was really f focused on writers first. Uh, and, and, you know, I won't say writers only, obviously we work with so many incredible actors, directors, crew, everyone it takes to get everyone on board, but it starts with the writer for us. Like writers first really means to me that if you are not passionately committed to the writer's vision, kind of everything else falls apart a little bit. And so fundamentally signing on for what a writer wants to do is what speaks to me. So that looks like many different things. You know, Marty Noxon had been chasing sharp objects for years saying, guys, this is a, this is a series. This is a series. Um, you know, it, it, it's a blink ago, but it just in, in TV film time, you know, she was like, there's a little thing called a limited series. And I think people were like, I don't know, maybe it's a movie. And she's like, no, 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 limited <laughs> series. Um, and you know, it really, I don't, you know, it was, we were part of a renaissance, you know, yeah. limiteds. Um, and, and now everyone's having so much fun with them. I think they really are the perfect place to tell most novels. Um, but yes. so that was, that was Marty and obviously Gillian, but that was that Marty knew that was a series. Marty knew that was the place to tell that story. Um, oh, it was so you know, haunting oh. and beautiful. Oh, so, I mean, as a writer <laughs> by my first love and trade, that always makes me happy, you know, like, and I think that's why I've always been so drawn to television too. Right. Like as a, just as a viewer. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And yeah, sharp objects, man, that was something. I still think about it. Well, me too. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, I actually, it's so funny. I just put it, so embarrassing. I, I, I actually put it on um, 
I think it was Instagram. I can't even remember. At the premiere of Sharp Objects, we have these little pill boxes. They're the cutest little pill boxes. Um, and they have breath mints in them. Like it looks like pills. But mm -hmm. I looked at it and I was like, oh, I have like a couple of these. I must have put them in. My husband put one in his pocket. I put one in my purse. We kind right. of ended up with a couple of them. And just so creepy. I was just trying to find a place. Do you have kids? I don't, but everyone, all my friends do. I'm like the one person who doesn't have so kids. So there's this creepy thing with kids, right? You keep their teeth. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to let my kids listen to this, obviously, because yeah. tooth fairy. But like you keep them. And it's kind of gross, right? Yeah. When you think about it, you have these like like however you keep them. And so I just had some and I was like, where do I put them? And I had one in this box and one in this thing. And I found these little pill boxes I had from Sharp Objects. And so it I started right. using them to keep my kids' teeth. And I was like, dead on. It's dead spot on. on. Well, one of my best friends happened upon some teeth in like a little whatever, not a, something in a drawer not that long ago. And she was like, just came across a couple of Liam's teeth. And I was like, I guess that's just, a th that's a thing that happens. Just but a, a, sh a sharp objects pillbox is a perfect place for the teeth. It makes me so happy. Gillian was like, can I do that too? Or is that double creepy? I'm like, mm, I think it's fair. I think it's fair game. I love it. Well, I was such a Gillian fan from her like writing, her like entertainment weekly writing. Yes. Um, and so I feel like I've fangirled over her forever because Entertainment Weekly, which all that news about Entertainment oh. Weekly recently is the saddest because I I honestly, I was like one of those people on Twitter who was like, I would not be who I am without Entertainment Weekly. I would not be right? doing what I do. I would not write the way I write, like all of those things. But I, I like stand, like I was like, I'm a stand for writers from Entertainment Weekly, like dating back to, you know, the 90s. So. I love it. And there's a whole group of them too. I mean, yes. it's funny. I've gotten to meet a lot of them through Gillian because we had Scott Brown who worked on Utopia. Um, well, he also worked on Trump. Yeah, we had a couple of these guys and now they're kind of writing on their own too. So it's a, it's a fun uh, lineage. Yes. Yeah. There's like a whole tree. Like a, mm -hmm. that's awesome. Well, okay. I, I Speaking of fangirl, like Station Eleven, I, I cannot <laughs> say enough good things about this show I so I I have never read the book which is actually usually rare for, like I've often when something's adapted I have often read the book I have not read the book I am going to read it but I came in like very fresh it was so moving and so um beautiful and I know that many people were like, I don't want to watch something about a pandemic and a pandemic. I, obviously, this has been said many times. And I'm like, it's not like that. It's not about that. It's to me, it was threshold. Yeah. You, this is, yes, something happens. But it's I was like, I don't know. For me, it was the the things that's I mean, all of it stuck. But the concept of like art and like what art we that stays and and what we need and how it can heal and bond and just the humanity of the show was just so present in everything. It's it's just beautiful. But what what drew you? Well, first of all, how would you describe the show to someone? Like I have one of the executive producers. How do you describe <laughs> it to people? And then like what what drew you? What were the parts that really drew you in? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, look, it's a it's a really hard show, and I think that to describe. Yes. Um, and at times to watch, but I think that 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 is tied to its hope, that it's tied to its beauty. You know, I think that um, oddly, I think the show was easier to explain pre-pandemic. Um, we weren't as triggered, you know, yeah. by all the things you have to say kind of casually to introduce the concept of the show. Right. You know, that a 
near world ending flu uh, takes out the world and leaves you with pockets of humanity and people who need to create community in whatever way that makes them whole to survive, but ultimately to thrive. And the show is about thriving to me. The show is about art and artists. You know, there's 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 certain people who are like, oh no, the theater kids would run the world. And you're like, well, the theater kids make you feel. Yeah. And I think the theater kids make you laugh. And they, you know, they understand that gathering together to create something is is bigger than one, oneself. You know, I think that concept of what how do people come together to create something larger than themselves? And, you know, I that's what the show's about, but it's it's very hard to explain. It's also to me, I think it's not it doesn't fall into that post-apocalyptic space. And I think that to me was interesting. I've always, you know, I have lots of friends who work on on the walking deads of the world and those kind of shows. And that's a very specific genre. It's not really my jam. I, I think it's fun and I certainly can en- enjoy it, but on a like regular basis, it's not the kind of thing that I tend to want to work on. This was so different from the jump. It just is a different show. Um, you know, Patrick Saravel, who's an absolute genius, and I would say more than a creator, writer, showrunner, you know, he also created a lot of the original uh, music that the troupe performs. Oh, he worked with I was working. Oh, I know. I know. I know. I know. It's just amazing. They're just amazing. I would just sit there with my jaw, you know, on the floor crying or whatever emotion, you know, Dan would create, um, whether from a composition on the actual, you know, in the, in the actual show, the, you know, um, or working with Patrick on the original songs. Um, just genius. But he, he gave, Patrick gave me, he had two or three scripts I read. And so I hadn't read Emily's beautiful novel either at the time. And I just fell in love. It was, I think it was one, two, three, you know? So it was, it was a piece of the now, a piece of the, you know, if you haven't seen the show, the the show alternates episode by episode in the more present what's happening in the world as it's um, changing how it operates, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Um, and in what is called year, year 20, you know, where where we see where everyone who's survived, it, you know, where they are and how they're living and how they're thriving. Um, and so that's, it's, it's funny. It's a hard show, right, to talk about with people who haven't yeah. seen it because yeah. you just can't understand what those, those, those are words. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't really hold as much meaning as in the show. You obviously are I, feeling those things. There's so much feeling. And I think like when pe- people are, whether they've watched it or not, they're very familiar with something like The Walking Dead, right? Like yes. they're like, uh, they know it's like, oh, and it's dark and apoc- like you said, like post-apocalyptic, elliptic. And I-, I used to watch The Walking Dead and then I had to stop because I was in, I- it felt hopeless and I couldn't yeah. do it anymore. And I totally understand why people love it. Like that's the whole thing on the show. Like watch what you love, like do, you know, totally. like that's great. I love it. I love that it exists for people, but th- it's very much not that even though something has wiped out a lot of people in the world and modern trappings of technology yeah. and society and all of those things. But, you know, it also for me, and I think for people who did watch it, um, 
like the way like you're talking about like processing through art it's like I was like when you watch them process through Shakespeare in the show it's also like I was processing well that's the thing through through watching Station Eleven you know yes and that's why I think it's different and harder to explain in our current reality than it was (laughs) you know two years ago but it also is easier because to me I don't explain plot to people when I talk about Station Eleven um, now, because that's not what it's about. Like we mm-hmm. understand plot, we're living through it, you know. So for me, Station Eleven is about, you know, how you th- thought there would be a way you would react yeah. in an emergency situation, and then there's the real way you react in an emergency situation. That yes. to me, in some ways, is the show. Like to me, as a parent, as a caregiver, I just kind of remember being like, okay, this thing is happening, but I just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other and creating new normals every single day and and just kind of making sure that everything in my world is okay and that my people are okay and my, you know, like those kind of things. And there's this like slow motion reaction to a pandemic, right? And yet you have these also moments that again, this was harder Emily did such a beautiful job in the book, but it's almost a harder thing to understand, which is we, so many of us set against such tragedy, we're also saying, gosh, it's kind of nice to be home a little bit. You know, for me, I've been working on set, I've been, you know, working in production and with all of our shows and, and even just at the office past dinner time my whole career, my my children's whole life. You know, yeah. mom doesn't really get home for dinner. That's just what our life has been. For two years, I've been home for dinner until, you know, when we were, yeah. when we were producing the show. And I, there are moments that you're like, well, that's kind of nice, you know? And so I think that, I don't know, it doesn't really make sense to say, but I think when you actually can talk about the show in a way that you can't with a Walking Dead, or what? Like those are those are just survivalist shows, and I feel like yes. our show understood from the from the jump. Our show is like, why survive if, like, what's what's life worth? Why are we surviving? Because we well, want to be with community yeah. and art, and we want to celebrate each other, and we want to find friends, and we want to find companions, and we want to raise people up. So that's what our show's about. Is yeah, survival is insufficient, right? Like survival is go. insufficient. And yeah. I, I loved that. And that's what I think, you know, and it, it, it is. And, and maybe your world gets smaller. And it did for yeah. all of us in many ways, right? And and all of us who were lucky enough to be okay. And but our worlds got smaller and we had to adjust and and for kids and for older people in our lives and all these different things, which we don't need to explain to anybody because we've been living it for two years. But to watch this show and watch people thriving and and still and still having human emotions and interactions and yeah. you know difficulties but also like how what what the ways you find that are are available to all of us really like you know art is available to all of us like shakespeare is available to all of us um yeah. music is available to all of us and i and and just the the sheer humanity of it, it just blew me away. It did. And it was and it was every component, which you as a producer are obviously like, look, you know, you're you're starting with the scripts and the writer and the and that. But the cast, the music, the production design, the costuming, like the way they come up with costuming their plays within the within the show and and doing like hair and makeup and costume for for these set pieces that they are creating in this in year 20 was just 
it was incredible. It was so incredible. Our show from the jump, from Hero and his DP Christian and the and the HODs that um, department heads, sorry, that that Patrick and Hero in, in invited into our you know our community, um, who did such beautiful work, wardrobe, hair, makeup, production design. You know, every single person, Helen, Ruth, uh, they were all doing such incredible work. And I truly believe, I truly believe the show would have been magnificent. I mean, the first two episodes were shot pre-pandemic. They were beautiful. That They were beautiful. The show would have always been fantastic based on the humans involved, the work involved, the scripts involved. Emily's book existed pre-pandemic and people loved it. It, all of the, it would have been amazing. And also, I am convinced that experiencing the communal trauma we were all you know experiencing i feel like people kind of metabolized it somehow into their work and the interesting thing about you know we we made this decision to keep shooting that we went down and we had to come back together and we had to you know find the way to do it in a safe way but you know, you'd look around on set, you'd look around in production meetings, and people weren't just doing it because like, oh, we, we have a living to make, right? You were like, why right. in the middle of a pandemic do you put on a mask and go to set? Like why? Because the work, the art, the creation was healing people, right? Yeah. It was actually getting to come together. It's super cheesy. But like, Abby, I was – I remember being on set – and we had the day where Nabon rapped and we had the day where Matilda sang. But then later we were on this, we had Deborah Cox singing and everyone kind of stopped what they were doing because it was the first time we'd all had live music. Mm. Like how nuts is that, right? We were just yeah. sitting there and it took our bodies less time than our minds to know what was happening. Like you just held this, what is happening? Why do I feel so amazing? And you were like, Oh, it's live music. We get to have live music. How lucky are we, by the way? But we get to yeah. do this. And you just felt this thing that happens where people get together and they are part of a larger creative endeavor than themselves, right? And that yep. thing. So first of all, I would say I'm very, very lucky as a person. I feel like I was able to be healed a little bit by the show as we were like working through the pandemic, even mm -hmm. before the audience had. The, so I, when people say, say how the show makes them feel, I'm like, I get it. I have spent two years in that place. Like yeah. I get it completely. <laughs> like you can, I will talk about it with you for hours because I feel it. I know, I know, I know what it does to you. You know, I know how Oh, I mean, I'm almost misty eyed right now, just thinking back and like having this conversation about it. Like it's, it's really real. It's really yeah. a beautiful thing. And I think that, so I do think that the artists working on the show would have always done beautiful work. No question about it. And also keeping their personal experience in mind, I think gave everyone a sense memory as they came together to do the thing they were doing. Yeah. You know, um, but it's, um, it's a once in a lifetime show, man. It's, it's, I think the thing that we all experience together making it is, is incredibly beautiful and watching 
hearing the audience, the calls I get. I mean, it's incredible. I've never had, I've had people love a show, yeah. but I've never had, like, especially my favorite, Patrick and I talk about this sometimes, is like, we'll get calls from agents who are like traditionally not like warm, but yeah, not yeah. Leading. they're not it's leading not, with their feelings. Uh-uh, and uh-uh. they will literally be like, I, I, I don't know what to do with these feelings. I was like, I know, man. It's okay. It's really yeah. special. It's it's really, really special. And I, I think I, I was going to ask, and I'm so glad you brought it up about like how you, how it kind of shifted when, because you did start this whole process and production before the world shut down and before we were in a global pandemic. Um, did you adjust, obviously you just talked about a lot of things, but did you have to adjust like the material or did you just stay true to like what the vision that Patrick and everyone had had kind of come to? I'm trying to think. I mean, we'd already shot episode one. We'd already shot the outside the hospital. We'd already done some of the like big pandemic things that matched our world pandemic. Yeah. Um, So we kind of just kept going after that. Like we didn't – the adjustments I would say came from performance and the idea that, again – actors had lived through it. You know, we all, we moved the show from Chicago to Toronto to follow some lower numbers. And the, the way Canada worked at the time is you'd have to do a two week quarantine in your apartment or in your house or in your hotel. So we ended up filming episode seven, which is the apartment episode uh, first because that set was ready. Wow. I know, I know, I know. So we had to do that one first um, because also at the time Canada had a rule about how many people could be on set, how many actors. And so we had to start with a small one. Right. And so it made sense. But so those actors had literally been in their apartments for two weeks alone. Oh my gosh, alone. Unable to leave when they shot that episode. So- and by the way, we prepped it. Like our amazing director, Lucy, and some other, you know, everyone involved was doing it from their Zoom in their apartment alone for two weeks. So we didn't have to change anything to go, hmm, how does this feel? What's it, you know, what are, what are the emotions here? It was a little bit closer to the surface. Wow. I can't believe that's the first episode. <laughs> That, that you shot back. Uh, that episode is, uh, again, I'm like like uh, losing my mind over this whole show all over again. But but that well, was also, fun fact, really crazy for Hamesh and Nabon and Matilda, who plays young Kirsten. Uh, um, they had filmed on that set in Chicago. And then we had closed, you know, we'd shut down for six months. And then they came back to Toronto. And that set was, we'd rebuilt that set. Wow. And so they had a very pre and post pandemic experience, even just in that space. Yeah. Wow. I As a, I, I, am, I am not an actor, but I am a person who has a lot of big feelings and I can only imagine like how, uh, wow, they were, they're all, every single person in this cast. So let's talk about the cast a little bit, I guess. Like Matilda, the my two Kirstens, like the, they're both insanely talented, obviously. I was, not familiar with Matilda before this, but uh, knew Mackenzie a little bit. I mean, mostly from her amazing Black Mirror episode oh, that San has Junipero. always Stan Junipero, yeah. which is just the greatest. And a, a Black Mirror episode that it has some hope in it, uh, which is unlike other Black Mirror episodes. <laughs> but it was, it was a different one. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Uh, but like the two of them, they're both so incredible. 
And it truly felt they felt so connected, like the characters, like you're you're seeing this young, you know, young girl and then who she who she becomes. Uh, and even I will say, like at the oh, I'll probably start crying talking about it. But at the at the, in the end of the final episode, when she says the second when Kirsten says the second bye. And it it almost it almost sounds like it's like it sounds like it's her little girl self, and it's so I'm obsessed with that buy. You have to know because that buy is not in the script. That was Mackenzie. Oh, and I have told Patrick this. I'm obsessed with that buy. So it's I my love fa- that you I talk about that. It's, it's my favorite thing because my favorite thing about that buy <laughs> is it's actually the only time we ever get to hear. Kirsten be a child. I'm yeah. I'm convinced. Yeah. Um it's funny because again, it wasn't scripted. It was it was it was Mac, you know? And yeah. I from the moment we meet Matil- uh Kirsten. Yes, we have flashbacks through Miranda's view in 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 the you know, the dressing room, but from the moment we meet her with Jeevan on that stage, she's in trauma. Yeah. She's been changed. Yeah. Even before the pandemic, right? She's seen him die, like Arthur died. Like this is a traumatized child from the moment we meet. Her yeah. childhood is gone. Gone. She's never going back there. No. And so to me, that second by, you're totally right. I think Mac just captured the innocence that predated the moment we met Kirsten. And yeah. I love it so much. It's maybe it my so favorite much. thing. It's maybe my yeah. favorite thing. It's it it was so powerful and also you're just like, yeah, you are because she has never been like okay. <laughs> like yeah. this entire time that we've known her, we never saw her at home with her parents and living her life, you know, like and it was just it was so moving, but it also it just it it also put this point on like how connected I felt these two performances were to each other and how talented both of them and Matilda I mean come come on how does it how is a kid that good at anything I am blown away but they just felt so joined and I don't think you often see that when you see like a younger and it's not always the performance they I don't always feel that they're so connected and it was like no this is the same person like this is the person that I've been watching you know Matilda in a weird way originated the role because Matilda's work in one and three were shot before Mackenzie mm. came on. Mackenzie was the first person cast, but Mackenzie was, you know, hadn't worked yet. And yeah. so I remember at a camera test, uh, in a, in a ward, a wardrobe test too, we, we had them in their matching puffers and dresses from seven and we all just kind of, here they are. Um, and so, you know, Mackenzie's been, you know, Mackenzie borrowed from Matilda and Matilda borrowed from Mackenzie. And I think what is really unique about their performances is you see how different a person is at different points in their life, yeah. affected by so many different things that they've gone through, that they've, you know, created and who they've become. I think you even see it in in Tilly's performance with Kirsten in like year one, year two, you know, kind of mm-hmm. what we call our feral, you know, Kirsten. Yes. Um, <laughs> and and yet they found some really incredible ways that you are ever convinced you're watching the same character you know you like you really are and it's just like little things and 
I was, it was so powerful. And obviously you're so bonded with Kirsten from the minute you meet her. Right. Because like Jeevan, you're just like, Oh, this child, you know, like, and it is a child in trauma. And even though he doesn't quite know what he's doing, he knows like, I can't leave this kid in the hallway. Right. And I think that's a, an emotion that many of us could relate to. Cause you're just like, if I saw a kid, like I can't leave a kid, like this kid is standing here. I have to right. help her. And he doesn't obviously realize <laughs> where this is going. But I love to, I, I love, and it, it was, it's obviously always was in the scripts, but it, it, it's so in Hamesh's performance that like, it's kind of also a drag, right? Like, oh yeah. He, does, he really doesn't want to have to do the right thing here. He and doesn't. That, that, it's so, yeah. Which I, yeah. I totally get. And you understand it throughout the course of their time together too, right? Like why he, when he gets so mad and frustrated, and again, you might not be have been in that circumstance that they are in, but I think any parent would say they understand or anyone who's spent a lot of time with like a kid, you know, it's like, oh, like yeah. enough already with your book, like quit yeah. reading your book, you know? And also he's not around any other adults at that point that he can talk to or, you know, totally. but he also has a fundamental goodness in him that like he wasn't going to leave her. And I think that's like when you get to that, when you find out what, what happened is like an emotional catharsis for the audience too, to realize not only that he is still around, but that no, he didn't. And you thought like, I'm like, he didn't leave her. He didn't leave her. And he didn't like mean to yeah. leave her, even though he kind of wanted to leave, which, you know, makes him a real person. Absolutely. I think it's also a funny thing because we got, you know, with Jeevan, you get to explore, you know, how, how, how does self-care work? You know, mm -hmm. because part of the beauty of having to take care of someone else is you don't have to think about yourself. You can yeah. compartmentalize all your own stuff and kind of keep marching. Um, but there's, you know, there's a moment where Jeevan finally says to Frank, I'm not okay, you know, yeah. which I think is actually, um, I'm pretty excited. I think that that's like a new turn in entertainment, being able to like introduce that concept yeah. to, I don't know, I was just saying something to a friend, to someone in the office the other day, my kids have been listening to Encanto and there's uh -huh. that line where she, she says, I am not fine, you know, yes. like, and yes. I'm like, Ooh, I think we're on the edge of something, which is pretty special too, you know, which is like vulnerable characters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which really is really important. It's really important and it's really important for kids to just have that in Encanto, you know, which I love yeah. very much. Um, and and adults. And like, adults and, really and men. Good and like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. <laughs> well, and I I'm felt fine. like I did I did that a lot during the pandemic. And I was generally, and it I weirdly had my own thriving moments during because I was okay. That was the other thing. I was comfortable, I was working, I was safe, I have enough privilege and money. You know, I didn't have to have the burden of some other things. And I also, but I think people were like, oh, you're alone. Like, are you okay? And I would, and I was like, yeah, I'm actually good. Are you guys okay? Like you've been in the house with your two small children and your partner for, for four months. Like, are you, and I, I really was okay, but I also think that is the jerk, like knee jerk reaction is cause you don't, yeah. you, especially, I think especially as women sometimes, but you're just like, I'm fine. I'm fine. You don't need to worry about me. You don't need to worry about well, me. By the way, because if the answer is no, ugh, it's something else you have to deal with. Right. 
Like, I'm not saying someone else. Like, if I if I utter the yeah. word no or not really, I'm like, oh, gosh, now I have to solve that problem. So it's much better right. to, like, just believe for yourself, yes. So I think yeah. that it's – it's a, but it's a pretty um, – I don't know. It's been interesting, it, I think, talking about the show with people because um, it really has allowed people to open up, you know, and I think that that's yeah. – I think it's – Patrick did a really special thing – in the writing and the so many decisions in the show that there's something the audience feels safe yeah watching the show you don't know you know where you know that the show isn't going to it can surprise you but it's not trying to trick you it's not going to um it, it's going to it's be not kind tr- yeah, well, I was going to say there's an inherent kindness that runs through the show that um, yeah. I I thought was – it did. It felt like a warm blanket, even though there's tough things sometimes going on. And it you, you didn't feel like the show was out to traumatize you, right? Even though it is talking about people who are dealing with trauma <laughs> on, on many, many layers, it didn't feel like the show was doing that. It felt there was a warmth and a kindness and just a human – love like that ran throughout it and it did I I didn't wake up like because I would wake up and watch it immediately um like er, I wake up pretty early and it'd be like I'd be watching it at like 6 a.m in my bed yeah. when the day the new episodes would drop but oh I wasn't gosh. waking up like scared because there's some shows and I do like that in certain shows yeah. and I know that I'm getting that where I'm like oh I mean I'm gonna be stressed out watching euphoria like that's gonna happen I love to watch it but I am I know that my like nervous system is going to be like insane, but this, yeah. it didn't feel like that, even though there were really, the stakes were quite high. <laughs> like, uh, you know, they're, you know, like when they're kind of being held prisoner in the Museum right. of Civilization, you know, like there's, there's like real stuff happening, but I don't know. It did feel safe. And it's like, you were safe in the art in the same way, like at the end, they're safe in Hamlet expressing things that they could never say you know like a mother and son could not say to each other until they were in the confines of the art you know and I think that's Mm -hmm. kind of what you know to your point about like being able to say like I'm not fine I'm not fine and when you when it's in the art or you can start talking about it via the art then it's a larger cultural conversation which that we need to have I think it's all like um I don't know if you I had this growing up I remember with with my parents and I'm doing it now with my daughter, uh, you know, when you're driving, it's sometimes easier to have a hard conversation because you're not looking at each other, right? It's not like you're sitting. If you have to talk to your kids about something, you think, oh, I'll I'll find time. I'll take them to ice cream or I'll take them to a dinner, but then they're stuck looking right at you, you know, trying to avoid eye contact. But when you have a conversation as you're driving, no one can look at each other. And there's something that's oddly really um, safe you know, about that. You don't have to get your words completely right the first time. You don't have to worry. You don't have to see their reaction. Um, And I feel like that's what kind of telling a story through a a lens of art is, you know, you just don't have to look at it straight on. You can, you can talk about the things and let them settle on you and give them time to settle in. You don't have to react right away. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. That's why it's like, that's why art's important, you guys. We can't ban books. Um, but 
I, yeah, it, it's really interesting because everyone I know who who watched the show also had like that, you know, that is a common thread and like that emotional, it was like an emotional release, but also like an emotional validation at the same time. Um, and yeah. I think, and, and, and you're talking about like you guys hearing the, li- like hearing live music for the first time, like one of the, I'm a huge live music person and like going back to my first concert was one of the best days, you know, after yeah I've had but I think the the music in the show is so powerful and and not in a way that feels like oh we're trying to make you feel something with this music you just do and it's like sometimes a really unexpected song but it's so spot on when it's when it you know the score and the original music but also the The you know the needle drops are yeah wow so I, I feel like for people listening, like they like what, you know, there's obviously a lot of considerations that go into that. There's obviously creative considerations, but there's also like rights and budgets and and all sorts of things. Like what was the what was it like figuring out the music for this show? Like obviously you have a music supervisor and all that, but like an incredible music supervisor, Liza. Um, I think sometimes it was as simple as Liza had the perfect song or, you know, um, uh, David Eisenberg, one of our editors, uh, and Patrick's uh, pr- now producing partner, had the idea for the last song in the entire show when he read the script. In other cases, we'd put an original w- one song in to an earlier cut, and we were messing with it, and it wasn't quite right. And then, uh, in the case of like episode eight, Liza sent through our music supervisor sent through the one fine morning, the Bill Callahan song. Oh, so good. <laughs> Well, and the crazy thing about that song is we'd already cut the ep- – like, it just fit. It lined up so perfectly. It was this fright – we just were all talking to each other and we're like, how is it so perfect? Is it too perfect? Is it – you know, because right. then you're like, is it on the nose? Is it, you know, right. is it too perfect? We're like, no, we think we love it. And he's like, my apocalypse. We're like, we love it. We love it. And randomly, Patrick sent – we had just sent the episodes to the actors so they could watch. And Mackenzie – said to Patrick, did you know Bill Callahan is my favorite artist <gasps> ever? What? What? Wow. Like, right? It's like, chill. weird. <laughs> I know. So really weird stuff would happen like that, where the show, I mean, you, <laughs> I don't want to say the show made itself, right? Because there was like yeah. so many <laughs> <Yes>. people working <laughs> so hard about every decision. Nothing ever fell in anyone's lap. And also the show kept doing weird things to us like that. I Listen, I, I think like I believe in like sometimes I have like weird things like that that's just like manifest and I'll be like and it's not always it's not ever the thing I really want to manifest. It'll just be some weird we call it my powers and I'll just be like, that's weird. But that feels like but it also feels like you a bit, you know, when you're on a project and yes, everyone's working so hard. But also it's just you're like, oh, this is clicking. This is feel like uh, and there is something I'm not, not a larger power, but there's something happening when you have that team assembled in the right way and like the right people. And you're just like, this feels a little magical. I don't want to get, a, you know, but it it does. And it and it came off that way. Definitely. I mean, that Bill Callahan yeah. song. Whew. But the other thing about the show that I, I think is, is successful and it's, again, the people behind it is that sometimes when you start talking about art, uh, people can get a little fancy, right? Yes. And so... There's lots of art being discussed. And so what ends up going by the wayside is 
our also love and affection for pop culture. Yeah. And like somehow pop becomes lesser than art with – and so what I love so much about Patrick and the entire team around us was like If You Leave is my favorite needle drop in the in the – yeah. In the show, because it's just how you feel in that moment. And the reason you feel it is because of all the history of the song also yes. in your body, right? Like that the moment, art, you know, it's like, it's, yeah. That art brings baggage with it. And sometimes it's bad baggage, but most of the time it's really good baggage. Or it's the reason that you can play a song while you're driving and be crying accidentally yeah. because of, a, you know, how we lock our memories into our bodies. So yeah. I think that a lot of the success of the music and the show also is to understand our emotional attachment to the music we're hearing. I mean, I, I don't remember if I like tweeted it or put, I might've put on my Instagram stories like the day after, but I was like, to say that I was overjoyed to know that Stay by Lisa Loeb survived like a, a, a flu pandemic that wiped out most of the planet was a great joy in my life. And like as a, you know, as a person who was a senior in high school in 1994 when like Reality Bites came out, it's a very important soundtrack to me. Yes, same. Patrick and I and the other team, and by the way, not to take anything, not to like, just the most painful thing, right, is that Philippine who plays Alex uh, needed lyrics and like listen to the song to know what it was. Because she's a, a she's a, well, she's a post fan. She's a post fan. She 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 really didn't know. <laughs> but I was oh, like, but so she funny. liked the song. The character loves it and sings it. So I'm like, Lisa Loeb has come through. And like, I mean, and then like the TLC, like you know, I love that. Obviously, I have a show about pop culture, and uh, like, it's everything to me. But I do, th- I love that because you are bringing. There's the, there's a reason the song in the first place, like connected with people in its original form or, or, or however right. it's lived through time but then also so it's a good song but also then you're you do bring all of that with you or I was I had moments where I was like I didn't remember th- I didn't know that I still knew passages from Hamlet but I guess I do because we had to like memor did you I don't know if yeah. you had to like memorize them in your like honors English class in high school or whatever and I was an English major so I was also like dorked out Same. on all all of that but Ooh. I was like I didn't know that those passages were still in my brain, but apparently they are, which is, you know, kind of cool too. Well, it's also, it's funny. I, I love the idea that, you know, what performance does, I know that there are people who can't read Shakespeare and understand it. It's magic. It's, it's mm-hmm. power until you see it in performance. You know, yes. that's what performance does. And all of a sudden yeah. it makes sense. It unlocks something. I saw on Twitter someone say that Station Eleven was going to be used in English classes, and I, like, proudest to – like, I literally was like, oh, my God. I was like, when they wheel in the cart, my kid's like, they don't wheel in carts anymore. I was like, stop it. Like, that's, like, <laughs> that's, that's my – you know, that's my memory. I'm like, that the idea that, like, you know, whatever – what was it like a BBC performance we watched or, you know, an English class the yeah. idea that someone's going to like push in or put on the smart board or whatever yeah. performance, you know, Danny and Caitlin or Danny and, you know, oh my God, Mackenzie and two. Mackenzie. I just, uh, that Caitlin like, is so amazing too. She is just, she do a beautiful job. She's, yeah. she is incredible. Like 
just a layered character that like you kind of might think from the jump isn't going to be, but is so much more than than what you think she, what you're and I think that's the point all right to me like uh, there's a preconceived notion of who that kind of woman is when you are introduced to her and she in, is that woman and she you, is when yeah. you meet her I think that's the fun part yeah. is it's not I don't think the show is saying she isn't that person right it's just saying she was a different person before this moment and things made her the person she is in this moment. And then later yeah. she's a different person because of the things that have made her that person. And I think that right. that's You're kind right. of a nice, that's a great. nice way to look at other humans. Like you don't have yeah. to say that that's a fault, like that they're, that they're, they're like depth behind them you're not seeing. Sometimes you could just not like someone in the moment. They're not their best like version of themselves when you meet them, but they might be a different version of themselves the next time you meet them. And that's, that's a nice time to have like an open mind. <laughs> Yeah. And that people can change, which I think is like a very uh, like in a social media world and like a very right. rigid, you know, like you are this and or you are or you are that. And and it's like, no, like, again, there's no nuance on on certain parts of the Internet. But and even totally. when it comes to people and and like how you might actually learn and you might have been an asshole and you're less of an asshole now, you know, like it's just and that's I feel like um, that's the interesting thing about about social media. I keep having these conversations again with my 10-year-old from my own yeah. life experience. Like, I don't even think it's just that like people aren't perfect. And I just think perfect people are much less interesting. Yes. And I learned that personally. I remember I was, gosh, I started my career when I was 20 and my own company and I was underwater from the beginning, right? I just was like, I just have to work my way through it. I have to just get there. And if I keep working hard enough, I will get there. I believe in what I'm doing. I believe in myself. And I remember my, um, my, my girlfriend, the one that I actually met Dory through my, my girlfriend, uh, would always have other friends, you know, over and she had another friend. And whenever we saw each other, it was in passing and she'd say, how are you? And I'd say, you know, to our conversation, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm great. I'm great. And she'd say, what's going Like, how are you in life? And I'd always talk about work, right? Cause mm -hmm. I've, got, I've got this going and I've got this going. And it was part of me was trying to sell it to the outside world. Part of me was trying to sell it to myself, right? Yeah. But also I was really boring. I had nothing else. I right. was working 20 – I wasn't lying. I was – it's right. all I had, right? And we just never connected. She was like, okay, that's Jess. She is who she is, you know, whatever. And right. a couple of years later, I was in the middle of a bad breakup. She came over to the house and I was like, she's like, how are you? And I was like, I'm not good. <laughs> like, I got a lot going on and I'm not feeling great. And she, I remember her sitting down next to me and being like, tell me more. <laughs> yeah. You know, we became really good friends. But it just always, it stuck to me in that moment that I was like, oh, vulnerable people, people who have like stuff going on are far more interesting. They're just more interesting. And I think that it's not just boring or perfect or an asshole or all of yeah. those things. But I think it is like when you're working so hard as a person or in, you know, Elizabeth's case, I think as a character to like put a facade over yeah. all the horseshit of your life. Yeah. You know, you can come off cold, you can come off this, you can this and this. But also like, eh, I kind of just don't now when I meet those people in my in my orbit, I also don't have the emotional reserve to like have a conversation with them because I'm like, well, this isn't a real conversation. Right. It's That's not real. 
is not real. Uh, and so uh, again, it doesn't make them a jerk. It's just like no. less interesting. I absolutely agree. It was like, I feel like I've been, done the same thing, you know, like in different times. And when I started embracing my mess a little bit, I actually, I actually enjoyed myself more too. Like, and, and I do, I am drawn to people who have stuff and, and who are also who are willing to like say they have stuff, right? Like who are oh like, yeah, man, I know I'm a little bananas, like, but it's actually just me. And I'm, you know, and I'm really obsessive about this. And I'm did it. And then when I like, A, you get more comfortable with yourself, but you also find that you have a lot more interesting conversations with totally. other human beings. 100%. And I think that's why it was so exciting to have. I don't think until I had those layers in my own life where yeah. I was making decisions that like I was like, well, that's kind of a gray area. <laughs> you know, like yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised that I'm making that decision. Um, or, you know, whatever it is, I think I started having much more empathy for other humans, but yeah. also for the characters of whose stories mm. I was part of telling. And I think that um it's interesting getting to have like right now this you know, I think people are turning towards female characters in a different way. Mm -hmm. We've let ma male characters be, you know, anti-heroes. Yeah. I don't need someone to be an anti-hero. I just like want to see them make the kind of mistakes that people I know make. Yes. And then try to figure it out. And sometimes you make it worse far yeah. before you make it better. Yeah. <laughs> make, you sure do. That, <laughs> that to me is super, I don't know, relatable. Um it and 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 I find that's actually the most interesting thing is sometimes having conversations about some of the the female characters we we develop stories for and around. Yeah. You know, a lot of times there's there's people who are like, I don't understand why she'd do this. And that's my favorite time when it's like you've got like one writer, you know, with your your, you know, arm around you on this side and an actress on this side, and you're telling the person, you're like, I do. I really understand why she did this. You're like, I actually totally did this and uh, yeah. this is how it went. And also, yeah, because we make bad decisions, you know, or like not even yeah. bad. They're just decisions and they lead you one way or they lead you another way. And I, I am so glad to see like that kind of complex and layered like storytelling for women because it's true. Like, and and again, like you, I'm like, okay, and if it's, she's a good anti-hero, if that like works for the story, like right. great, great. But like, that's not what we're asking. You know, it's like, a, and also like, women's inner lives are not the same as men's inner lives. Like totally. they're not the same. And so we have to like find ways to tell those stories. Um, and I need to let you go on with your day, I realize. But is there anything like that you're watching out there that's like you're really into these days or anything that's like grasped you? It's, I don't know what it is. Um, well, most of the time when I'm making the show, we make some darker or some yeah. twistier shows. Yeah. So I often need to watch things like The Bake Off or Hacks uh -huh. or something that's like, you know, yeah. kind of a little uh, airier. Like, Hacks isn't airy, but, you know, just kind of. Yeah, but it's not like. Uh, different. It's not. It's, it's just a, a different, different kind of dark. Thing. I mean, I'm a Scorpio. I'm dark. Like, I love dark <laughs> stuff, but I also like really frothy things and I have to balance yeah. it out, you know. But my big thing right now I'm addicted to is I've, I'm on a kick from music docs. Oh, nice. And this is weird. I think it actually uh, might be a little Station Eleven remnant. I am always saying like, I don't understand music. I don't understand music. And Patrick is always like, yes, you do. Just because you don't write music. You know, when you're surrounded yeah. by so many beautiful artists and who, you know, people who create art and uh, create music. I'm like, I'm not, I don't understand. I don't have an ear. And he's like, yes, you do. And it was funny because I started watching 
like I would say I started with maybe some good or better music docs and I've yeah. even gotten down to like, I'm not going to list any because I don't think that's yeah, yeah, like sure. even like yeah. some not so well produced music right. docs. Turns out still in. I'm still in. I love it's contained. It's, you know, 60 to 90 minutes. Yeah. I, I think it's probably the producer in me that likes watching an adjacent creative experience. But yeah. I love that moment when it starts becoming the thing you know. Like that's yeah. really neat to me. Like you hear it and you're like, okay, once, twice. <gasps> Wait, I just heard a little bit of the thing I know. They're getting there. Yeah. It's really fun for me. Or I love those little anecdotes in the state. I don't know why. That's my thing. So anything from you know, any of the music box docs I'm into, but also there's some there's some not good ones that are still so fun. Oh yeah. I'll I always say like I'll watch and because I love music so much, it's so important in my life. I am not musical, cannot carry a tune, could never carry a tune, yeah. hated piano See? lessons when I was a kid. I'm really <laughs> mad that I didn't learn piano. You know, like I should have. I would like, oh, oh, grown up me would be like, learn piano, girl. Like what's wrong with you? But I music is so vital to everything that I am and I love it. But I, I always say I will write, watch any musician's process like in any way, shape or form I can get it. And again, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not. And I'm just like, how do you get there? Like, let me see you make music. Like, it's so fascinating to me. By the way, if you don't have time for the longest, I just recently, and this is late, it's like two seasons in, just discovered that like Music Exploder has, aside from the pot, like there's a, there's a mini doc series on oh. Netflix, they're like 20, 30 minutes each. I didn't I'm know that. You, when I'm really toast at the end of the night and I don't even have the energy for a full episode and I'm done with emails and I just want to like turn off my brain yeah. for a second, yeah. drop in anything from like The Killers, Hamilton, like one song, boom, done, love it. Oh, that's amazing. That's a great recommendation to end on. So random. Um, Thank you so much for coming. It's not random at all. You, you, my show is the most random. Like you, the things that come <laughs> out of my mouth are so random. I'll be like, oh, like the, this week I was like, I just saw a tweet about this South Korean rom-com called Love and Leashes. That's like, a, it's like an expe- a, a new sub and an experienced dom. And it's like a South Korean rom-com. I'm like, Friday night, that's what we're doing. Um, so ran- the more random, the better. Uh, oh, so love it. Uh, are you on social media? Do you like to use social media? Do you like people to follow you on social media? If so, let people know where they can find yeah, you. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I That's that's where I draw the line. I yeah. know there's other ones. I can't, guys. <laughs> I can't. Um, it's pretty easy. I'm at Jessica Rhodes on both. Awesome. And I'll link to that in the show notes. But Jessica, thank you. I could talk to you about this show for till the so end of time and all your shows. Fun. Like I'm like, when I realized all the things that you had worked on and I was like, well, these are all things that I was obsessed with. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. It was such a pleasure. Awesome. And I will be right back. Thank you so much to Jessica for coming on and having such a fantastic conversation about her work, her work that just like I am in awe of what she and um, you know the casts and crews and uh, writers and creators uh, of those shows do and put out into the world so that people like me can talk about them and ingest them and um, you know just the power of art man <laughs> sounds so corny for me to say but it is 
it is the most one of the most important things in this world. And if you have not watched Station Eleven, I I just like I couldn't recommend it more. Um, it is so beautiful, so so stunningly beautiful and thought provoking and inspiring and hopeful and all the things that you heard me super fangirl about to Jessica. I um I'm I'm just really grateful to have be able to have this show and have conversations like that. It 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 nourishes me. So thank you all for listening. And if you would like to hear more from me, there's well, there's the whole back catalog. There's lots of fun episodes. If you're new, check them out. Um and you can follow me on Twitter at Abby Gardner. I am at Abby C Gardner on Instagram. And then there is the at we have notes handle on Instagram and on TikTok and subscribe to the newsletter, which is we have notes.substack.com that comes out on Fridays. Thank you to Timothy Griggs and everyone at Speak Studio for putting this podcast together with me. It is my favorite one of my jobs is doing this show. I love it so much. And writing the newsletter, like both of it, they like go together, you know? And until next week, I hope you just like watch something or listen to something that makes you feel like really, really, really feel something, whatever it is, happy, sad, all the things in between, Um, because there's nothing better in the world than art that makes you feel. And I will talk to you soon. Bye.